Acts, bounce to Galatians, and then get into the book of Romans uh, here this evening. And I just want to give a kind of a big shout out to my little daughter, Bailey, here. Uh, she has done such a tremendous job um, with the AV section and the missions. She's the missions coordinator, but she's been running the audio video here and, and in Cardiff. And um, she's done such a tremendous job. And, and I'll say that she had no hesitation to come back there in the back and say, you got four minutes tonight. And uh, that was not, I need, I need that because we were talking and kind of getting carried away and, and chatting amongst one another as, as we will do. And uh, I'm thankful that we have her. She is such a blessing. Amen. And I just figured that I give credit where credit's due and she needs it. Amen. So let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts in chapters 22 is where we're going to start this evening. And we're going to, you're just using this verse and the next verse kind of as a springboard to get into the topic that I want to speak to you tonight, uh, it's not Mother's Day. Uh, uh, there's nothing, there's no, uh, uh, my goodness, I don't even, it's just today. It's just Wednesday. There's nothing special about today when it comes to mothers. Uh, but we are going to speak on a mother tonight and um, really show the great power that mothers have, uh, especially in the life of, of uh, my hero, my, my, my hero, the Apostle Paul. So look with me, if you will, Galatians cha or Acts chapter 22, and just read one verse, verse 3. The Bible says here, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law, to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye are this day. I open up with that verse there because we find that Paul says he's verily a man. I am verily a man. And you say, well, preacher, we know that he's a man. We know he's this. And I, I just used the title of a moment ago of hero in describing the apostle Paul. And many a times when we, we read the scriptures, and especially maybe reading and studying the life of the apostle Paul out or someone else, we, we may have a tendency sometimes to set them above maybe what they, uh, they really are. Now, he says that he, he clearly makes it that no man should think higher than them, themselves than they ought to think. Paul was a, a humble man, even though he never said it. A true humble doesn't have to say that. Amen. But, but you, know, he, you know, Peter says to be clothed with humility. What I'm saying, guys, are these, these men that wrote the Bible are verily a man. They're men. They're just like we are. Men, uh, you guys that are ladies here tonight, they're human beings. And these human beings, um, guys, um, they feel just like we do. They felt like we do, you know. I mean, Paul uses the phrase that we were despaired even into life, man. I mean, the word despair means to be without hope. We were pressed out of measure, okay? There was a point in time in, in the ministry that things were so heavy, so hard, so destructive, so dark, that he was at a breaking point. That's what pressed out of measure means. It means that, you know, man, look, there's more than we can handle here. We're pressed out of measure. We despaired even life, but God is faithful, amen. Saying all that to make this point here this evening, turn to Galatians chapter 1 with me. Galatians in chapter 1, a very uh, interesting verse here that I want us to look at. Galatians in chapter 1, we're looking at verse 15. Verse 15. This is the only verse in all of Paul's epistles, uh, the 14 that he wrote, um, where his mother is mentioned. Galatians in chapter 1, verse 15 says, But it pleased God who separated me, 
from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Now, guys, there's a, there's a deeper theological teaching there about being separated from his mother's womb, what it entails to, I mean, being separated from his, his, his heritage, his hereditary gain, who he was, the Benjaminite, all these different things. We understand, you know, doctrinally and theologically, that's what he is referring to there. But it's the only time this man, Acts chapter 22, verse 3, I am verily a man. All right, a man of Cilicia, born in Tarsus, a Benjaminite, uh, so on and so on, but raised up at the feet of Gamaliel here in this city, speaking of Jerusalem. Uh, he's still a man, and when he's penning those words, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, Paul could not have written anything other than what is on that scripture page right there. You know he thought about his mother. You know he, it went through, through his mind, his heart, and and guys, if you want to know about an individual, when you want to study their lives and learn more about them, you, you always want to know more about mom and dad. You want to know how he was raised and how this affects many verses in the scripture as well. So can you picture with me as Paul's writing back to the Galatians, he's given his testimony in chapter 1, he's getting ready to speak about the revelation that he and he alone received, that Jew and Gentile will be saved under the, under the same uh, heading, by the same spirit, by the same method, by grace through faith. And He's re receiving the revelation there. This is what the testimony of Galatians 1 has given us about receiving it in Saudi Arabia. We know that in Acts chapter 9, between verses 20 and 22, something changed in Paul's life. We do believe that he went from Damascus he preached there those couple of Sabbaths, and then we know that we, we believe he left and went for 40 days in Arabia, all right, and received that revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ, and then came back to Damascus and preached there for three years and went up and spent 15 days with Peter, and then after that was 10 years in Tarsus, where he learned how to suffer loss for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be 14 years before Paul would go on his first mission journey after being saved, and I'm saying all that to make this point. Can you picture as God would have him write this letter here to the Galatian church? Can you see how personal Paul is in this verse? Can you see how he, when he writes him, do you, I personally in my mind, and again, I know I, I tend to, to, to look well beyond the deal and flip over rocks and all this and that, but I, I just wonder if he set the pen down and he leaned back in his seat for just a moment and thought back to the days of his youth. Maybe when his Mom was in the, in the kitchen of their humble abode and he was playing on the floor with some rocks and stones and sticks and his mom was making bread and getting ready to prepare a lunch for him. And maybe he looked up in the gleam of her eye and the sun shining in and how much he loved his mother spending the time that he did. You know, the only verse that he ever mentions his father, the only reference to Paul's father, he says, I'm the son of a Pharisee, son of a Pharisee. He says, separated me from my mother's womb. You see, in Galatians 1, Galatians chapter 1, or Galatians 1, 15, we find an affectionate term, my mother. Was it my bloodline? Was it my, her my heritage? Was it my family? He made it very clear, and I believe the Holy Spirit of God intended it to be so. He said, my mother, in very affectionate terms toward his mother. But I want you to watch this here. You can read this from the screen. I'll give you a little reprieve on turning. You'll turn to Romans in just a moment. Romans chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called me an apostle. Watch this again. Separated unto the gospel of God. And he writes the book of Romans in AD 58. 
uh, just prior to being arrested a few months before him. Paul was separated, according to Galatians chapter 1, Paul was separated from his mother's room. But he wasn't just separated from his mother's room. He wasn't just separated from his family, my friend. He was separated unto something. And that's the really the theme, the topic of what I want us to get a hold of tonight. Because that's what God does. God's, God does not remove you from something in this life without placing you into something better and bigger and, and, and better for you, if you will, more blessings, if you will. Separated unto the gospel. He wasn't separated just from his mother, but most importantly, he was separated unto the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mentioned about Paul being in Tarsus where he learned to suffer loss. And we have this testimony in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 8 where Paul says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And you count them but dung that I may win Christ. Now, in your Bibles, if you write, and mark, you should, you, know, you should highlight the, the, the two words there, all things. You see, not only did Paul count all things but loss, but he also suffered the loss of all things. Somehow, guys, you cannot separate the fact that, that within these verses, and within his letters, uh, they were written by a man. He again said, I am verily a man, in his testimony in Acts 22. When they were written by a man who suffered, or, uh, suffered as we do and as we can suffer, uh, humanity, guys, as a human, Paul writes these letters by inspiration. And yes, it's inspired of the Holy Spirit of God. It was inspired through man. But nonetheless, the Apostle Paul is still a human with human feelings, susceptible to the sufferings, both mentally and emotionally, as we all are. So you cannot tell me tonight that as Paul went back and was writing this letter to the Galatian church, that when he said, I was separated from my mother's womb, that he did not look back at those days, the, the decade nearly, that he spent in Tarsus where he suffered loss of all things. And all part of those all things would have been his mom. When Paul got saved, he lost his mother. And let me say this to you, it hurt. It hurt. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I've, I've heard men say, I've heard them get in the pulpit, and I've heard them preach about, I got saved and born again, and God saved my soul, and you know, my mom and dad disowned me, and you just, and just go on a rant for 10, 15 minutes, how they don't care, and doesn't bother them, and this and that, and you know, they can just uh, sit in their own sin, and blotty, blotty, blotty. I want to tell you right now, I question the conversion of anyone that would feel that way about another soul. I don't care how bad your parents have been. You want them saved and born again. Amen? Paul's parents, disobeyed, they disowned him. They turned their backs on him. They wrote him off as dead. You can't tell me. As a matter of fact, he wished he could be accursed. That all Israel may be saved. All Israel includes mom and dad, amen. So we'll get into our verse tonight, our text verse that we're going to bounce off of this evening about this important particular position, a wonderful mother, if you will. We'll ask you to turn to Romans 16, the final chapter in the book. And Romans 16, we're going to look in verse 13 briefly tonight. Some of you have heard me touch on this and teach on this in times past and allude to here and there. But it's a beautiful topic. It's a beautiful thing that I believe we can take on board and we can learn the compassion and 
and really and truly the formula, the format that God uses in a Christian's life. We see so many people today, that they're afraid of what they're going to lose in this life to gain the life to come. And they're, they're so afraid of losing what is in front of them, uh, what is before their very eyes, the friends and the family members, or finance, whatever it may be, I mean, even maybe gain some foes and this and that, but they cannot see the forest for the trees. Because the reality of the matter is this. There's nothing greater than accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whether you and your parents have a good relationship or not, God's going to take care of you. Amen. He's gonna, whether you and your neighbors have a good relationship or not, God's going to take care of that situation. But if you're not saved and born again, you can't help your mom and dad out. You can't help your neighbors out. You can't help your coworkers out. You can't help anybody out if you're not eternally saved. Amen. So the greatest gift that ever happened to Paul happened on that road to Damascus. And even though he suffered loss of all things, and even though his own family disowned him, he was now in a position to witness the gospel to him. We have no record of what happened to his, his biological parents. There's a good chance, and I'm just saying good chance, that 20 years down the road, that gospel message that he would have given them in the first decade of his Christianity, took seed, took root, and, and brought fruit. Romans 16, verse 13 tells me this. It says, salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. I'm going to tell you this tonight, just, just, to, just to get, you, get, you, uh, get it underneath your belt. God is a God of replacements, amen. What you lose in to Christianity, you're going to find within Christianity. Paul refers to Rufus' mother, and he refers to as mine, in mine, he says. Paul lost his mother due to salvation in Jesus Christ. Yet, because of the same salvation in Jesus Christ, he gained a mother in Rufus' mom. One would have to ask, how in the world did this come about? Matter of fact, why did it even come about? Why would, uh, who would have thought uh, to set these things in motion? And when did God make the arrangements for Paul? And, and how in the world does Rufus have anything to do with the Apostle Paul? When do you think he decided to provide a, a replacement for Paul who would eventually lose his mom many years down the road? Well, read from the screen, Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. The Bible says that he compelled one Simon of Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. In the same reference we cross, or the same account we cross-reference in Luke chapter 23, verse 26, and as they led, away, led him away, uh, they laid hold upon one, Simon of Cyrenian, come out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And then we find the, uh, the account again given in Matthew 27, verse 32. And as they came out, they found the man uh, of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. Mark is the only one to mention that Simon the Cyrenian is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, Cyrene was an ancient Greek city. It was later a Roman city in present-day Libya. Uh, it's the oldest city, most important of the five Greek cities in the region, and it's located near, nearby the ancient necropolis of Cyrene. In Cyrene lies the lush valleys uh, and the uplands. The city was named after a spring called Cyrene, which the Greeks consecrated to Apollo. It was also the seat of the Cyreniacs, a famous school of philosophy in the 4th century B.C. that was founded by Aristippus, who was a disciple of Socrates. 
In 74 BC, Cyrene was uh, created a, a Roman province, but under Ptolemaeus, the Jewish inhabitants had equal rights. Roughly 2,000 kilometers from Jerusalem, Cyrene is, which is a well over a 400-hour uh, walk, um, or 40, uh, you know, walk using the coastline. Simon was just a, a passerby, um, a 40-hour walk, what am I saying? Uh, Simon was just a passerby, guys. He was a, a businessman walking from one location to another, having no clue on what was transpiring or was happening on that day as he came to Jerusalem. Both in Luke and Mark, they make the statement, coming out of the country. He wasn't in the city. He didn't know what was going on. He wasn't part or privy to, uh, to, the, to the, the day's events or Jesus going from uh, Pontius Pilate to Herod and, and coming. In. He had no idea of any of those things. He's just passing through. We remember that Calvary was not on a hill far away, as we like to sing, but rather in the midst of heated traffic outside of the city. Romans did this on purpose, guys, so the crucifixion of criminals would be seen, not only working, operating as a punishment, but a deterrent for those that would follow. As a matter of fact, modern-day Golgotha, where Calvary occurred, is a bus terminal, okay? It's a bus terminal right there outside of the city walls. It's still in a main traffic area where people would come by. When Simon was compelled to carry the crossbeam uh, with Jesus Christ, he would have, he would have been ear-to-ear ear with him. I thought about this when I was, I was writing this last night. He would, have been, he would have been scrummed together. Think about that. Think about it, scrummed tonight. And then boys lock in there, and they lock, their, lock into their hips, and that front section are locking heads together. Simon would have been that close to Jesus Christ. I mean, I have no earthly idea what may have been said. And I have to be honest, I would love to know what was said between point A and point B. But whatever it was, guys, it made an eternal difference in Simon's life. His family eventually, uh, uh, it made a difference in the Apostle Paul's life. Somewhere along the way, this woman, this mother of Euphrates, cared for Paul, especially when Paul needed someone to care for him. A time of great loss and a time of great love. I don't know where it happened, but I know it had to happen. And beloved, this is an example of how God knows our needs. God knows our needs. He always provides a way in our life. Despite our failures of faith, He always provides. God knew that there would be a chosen vessel to preach unto the Gentiles, and most, uh, the most unlikely vessel in all of Jerusalem. A murderer to the church, a blasphemer, and the enemy of the cross. And God knew that man would be saved and born again. And with great affection, God saved this vessel the Apostle Paul, and set him on a course. And within this course, God knew that he was going to suffer great loss as well. The loss of all things, that he may win Christ. But it cost Jesus Christ everything to save the world. It cost him everything to pay for the sins of the world. It cost him everything to build his church. It's one of the reasons why I am, i, I got to be honest, guys. I am as bum-fuzzled as it can become that someone is not in church when the doors are open. I, I, I don't get it. I don't, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whenever your local church, this is your local church, when the doors are open and the service is going on, you have zero excuse not to be here. Well, preacher, I got to do that. You have zero excuse, okay? Unless you're sick, but I wonder how many times you're sick and you still go to work. How many times you're sick, you still go to the grocery store. 
Jesus Christ gave everything that he had so to give us the opportunity to be what we're doing right now. And half of us not even here. It's a crying shame is what it is. It's a crying shame. It was going to cost Paul the same in order to set in order what Christ died for. It was going to cost Paul to set in order what the Lord called him to do. And the Bible tells us to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. That was what Paul's calling was. Even in the loss of his life, Jesus Christ made a way for his word to lay upon the heart of this man by the name of Simon, a Cyrenian. And from henceforth, he would carry that word. He would carry this grace home to the saving of his family and the replacing of a mother of the builder of the local New Testament church, the Apostle Paul. The example taught of Rufus's mother is carried out throughout the New Testament church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, The older women as mothers, the younger as sisters, with all purity. This reference to the elder women in the church is to treat them like mothers. The Bible says, Honor thy mother and father, that thy days may be long upon the earth. The loss of Paul's mother affected him in many ways, but God used it for good. Paul needed a mother that he had lost. This is the sovereignty, grace of God. Uh, when you get saved, you're going to lose certain things. Praise God, you lose judgment in hell, amen. That's a good thing to lose. God separates you from that world and places you into the church. So when you're separated from the world, you're actually separated to the church. Remember, Paul was separated from his mother's womb, but the Bible tells us also he's separated unto the gospel. There is no limbo, no, no straddling the fence. Once you're saved, when you make that decision, yes, you are separated from some things, but it's always to another thing. Paul lost a mother to the world, but found one in the church. And what you lose in this life or in this world, you're going to find it in the house of God, but only if you're here. Only if you're here. You want family stability? Get in church. You want parental, parental stability? Get in the church house. You want to build your life in the way that God wants you to build it? You get into the church house. Otherwise, you're just, I'm just going to be frank, you're just playing games. You're playing games with the greatest gift ever given to mankind. You're playing games with the greatest gift that God Almighty, who created all things, stepped down as the Son of God and gave his life for. Think about what is needed to be a mother, especially a mother to a soul who isn't your own and who has experienced more loss than anyone. Think about what was needed in Rufus's mother's life, what she had to experience, what she had to see, how God would prepare her from that fateful day that Simon, came. I mean, just get the picture. I would imagine when Simon finally got home, he was covered in Christ's blood. Bible tells us that he was unrecognizable as a, as a man. As a, he was a lump of flesh on that tree. When they scourged him, they ripped his back completely open. I would have, it would expose his organs. When they beat him and plucked his, his beard off of his face, guys, he wasn't even recognizable. There's no way you're getting that close to the Lord Jesus Christ to carry that crossbeam throughout that city without getting something on you. 
I bet you. He showed up to that door. Honey, I'm home. <gasps> what happened? Oh, honey, I got to tell you what happened to me. You'll never imagine what in the world I just saw. You, you, you're, th- th- it's not my blood, honey. It's not my blood. Oh, but let me tell you about whose it is. Can you imagine with me the foundation of Rufus's mother, what that home would have been like? God was preparing her just as much as he was Paul. God was preparing her to perform a duty and a job in the life of the greatest church planting missionary this world has ever seen. You say, well, you know, he's tough. He could have done without it. God knows our needs deep down. First thing that we find that is needed, just three quick points and we're done tonight. The first thing that we find, first characteristic to be a mother is compassion. The the word compassion means to suffer alongside. It means to co-suffer. It's a compound word. Passion is to suffer. Co is to suffer alongside. Simon the Cyrenian learned something from Jesus Christ. And no doubt his experience this day was conveyed to his family. It was remembered and I believe emulated throughout their Christian life. I can envision them, guys, as as people would be around the table and maybe they're breaking bread with one another and there's a new person in the community and they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they've heard about these these Christians, these people that, uh, you know, this new religion in town and all that. And and I can imagine them sitting around the table and, and somebody say, Simon, tell me that story. And he starts telling that story. And I can just see that wife, Rufus's mother, sitting quietly on the edge of that table, tears gently running down her cheek, envisioning what her husband would have looked like when he came home, maybe the glow on his face, but the blood all the way all over him as he shared what he experienced. As days would go by, they would hear of the resurrecting of Jesus Christ, that man that you carried that cross with. Oh, this is true. He is the Son of God, didn't he? Listen, he told me, he told me as we went toward that tomb, he told me as we went toward that Calvary, he told me as we went toward Golgotha that all these things would happen, and look what is happening. Tell us the story, Simon. Compassion, to co-suffer. There's something else that's, that's needed to be a mother, and, and that's concern. But Paul says, Rufus's mother, and then he adds these two words, and mine. Undoubtedly, there was such an expression of concern in her life for Paul. Her voice, her heart. She was concerned for the well-being of Paul for his needs, for his wants, for his pain, his hurts and suffering. There's a reason. I mean, we see a lot of people suffer loss in the scriptures. And many a times we never see a replacement given. But not with Paul. For some reason, the loss of his mother had a great effect on him. For some reason, God said, you know what? I'm going to help you out, son. 
Not only am I going to stand with you when nobody else stands with you, but I'm going to give you something extra. There's, some, there's somebody concerned about you. There's somebody that's going to be praying for you night and day. That's Rufus's mom. Lastly, we find that to be a mother, there's going to be a spirit of comfort involved. I've heard men say that single parents' home, that is, and, and I don't, I, you know, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or offend anyone at all, and, but I've heard men say that, yeah, I've got to be dad and mom tonight. Men, listen to me tonight. You will never in your entire life be a mother. You ain't got it in you. Now, I know there's some effeminate men out there. You still ain't, you are not going to be a mom. Ladies, you're never going to be a dad. It doesn't matter if you're a single parent. You're not doing both roles. You're doing one role, your role, and you're doing the best you can, and praise the Lord for it. I'm thankful for that. You keep up the good work, but you're not replacing a dad. And dads, you're not going to replace a mother. Both positions are irreplaceable, one of the other. And you can do your best job, and I'm glad that you are. But there is, a, there is a part that a mother has of comforting her children. No matter how young or old they are, there's a role that a mother plays. Just hearing her voice. <laughs> I remember I went to uni in Nebraska, and we would spend long periods of time without the sun. Oh, wait, that's here. No, um, but Nebraska was like that. <laughs> I remember, I grew up in Florida where we always had the sun. And, and uh, I remember one particular winter, uh, and I, I can't do the conversion into Celsius, but it was minus 20 for six and seven weeks. That's Fahrenheit, by the way, which will be about probably minus 30-something in Celsius, if not more. Very cold. Uh, very gloomy, very gray. And then when the snow, you know, you have, you know, two foot of snow and then it's washed off and then it turns into brown mud, you know, and, and this, it's just ugly and nasty. Hadn't seen the sun for probably four to five weeks, I remember. And it was just gray and gloomy and snow and cold and all this and that. And I'd get out of my Tuesday, Thursday classes and I'd come back to my little house and I'd get on the phone. I'd call my mom at work. Her boss would answer sometimes and he want to ask me nine or ten questions. I say, hey, look, can I talk to my mom real quick? Yeah. And I'd just sit there and talk to her. Hey, Mom, how's the weather? Oh, it's in the 70s. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate that. That's wintertime in Florida. It's 82 degrees today. You know, it's about 31, something like that. I'm like, that's great. But I would call my mom at work just to hear her voice, man. Just to, she'd just tell me, she'd kind of catch me up with the gossip and what was going on in the school. And, but it was just to hear her voice. As much as I know my children love me, okay, there's something their mother has that offers to them that I cannot perform, and vice versa. God knew that in Paul's life. God knew that the task that he had given Paul to do was a laborious task. It was a high, it came with a high cost. It was painful. Guys, he preached the gospel to the regions beyond, and we have a local New Testament church tonight because of the mighty works of the Apostle Paul, and God said, I'm going to give you some comfort down there. 
in this woman that I set her tracking in order to be saved on the day that my son gave his life. In Romans chapter 16, where we went to our text, you don't need to turn there, but Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome. Somehow, some way, this, this uh, family from Cyrene found themselves there. I, I have no idea, but he's writing and closing the letter with this list of salutations, which includes this dear lady, this lady full of compassion, this lady full of concern, this lady willing to comfort Paul in his ministry. At some point in, in, in Paul's life, she stepped in and she nourished him. She comforted him in times of distress, despair, and maybe even moments of depression. I mean, a mother's love is unimaginable. It is irreplaceable in all practicality. But you may lose something to Christianity in your life. But let me say this, for with God, Nothing shall be impossible. You believe that tonight? That's the same red letters in your Bible tonight in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, that gives us the same red letters in John 3, 16, the most read Bible verse in all the Bible, all the world. Just as inspired as Luke chapter 1, verse 37, as John 3, 16, in Romans 10, 9, in Romans 3, 10, in Romans 3, 23, in Romans 6, 7, in Romans 5, 8, in Romans 10, 13, and all of these other verses that we use for eternal salvation and believe on them, this is the same inspiration, same Holy Spirit, same God, same book. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We serve a God of the impossible. And he knew that he would choose a man who would do an impossible work in man's eyes. As Paul writes to the Corinthians saying, At last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. On the way to the cross, as Jesus was preparing to pay the price for the sin of the world, he orchestrated a man to walk alongside of him, ear to ear, body to body, scrum to scrum, if you will, in a, a bit of a scrummage there, and he would return home, proclaim all that happened that day, and they would someday be saved, someday meet Paul in his early years. The rest, as they would say, is history. Praise God tonight. For the God of the impossible. Praise God tonight for the God of the replacements. Praise God tonight that we find a testimony in the life of the Apostle Paul who chooses to say, salute Rufus's mother and mine. So to close with this thought, the account of Simon of Cyrenian is in three Gospels that only one man mentions the mother of Alexander and Rufus, Mark, also known as John Mark, also known as Barnabas's nephew, also known as the man who left Barnabas and Paul on the mission field and went home to Mama, the son of Mary, also known as the one who caused great dissension when Barnabas decided to, we're going to take him with him. Paul said, no, we're not. Paul took Silas, got the blessings of the church, and Barnabas and John Mark went to Cyprus. Barnabas has never heard of again, but John Mark, yes. See, John Mark spent two decades proving himself, not only to God, but the Apostle Paul, that he will be faithful. And Paul finally said, if he shows up, receive him. 
for he's profitable to me unto the ministry. You know, I believe in all of my heart. I believe that John Mark, in those early years of Paul's ministry, he saw the interaction with Rufus' mother. He saw the interactions with Simon the Cyrenian. I know I'm, I know I'm speculating here. But Luke was Paul's companion, but he wasn't picked up till Troas, till the second mission journey. But John Mark was there in the first one. John Mark was there in the early years. And I believe the Holy Spirit just used that young man, John Mark, to say, I'm going to throw Rufus's in there, Rufus' name in there and Alexander's name in there. So everybody knows when Paul writes this letter in 8058, exactly who he's talking about. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, thank you, Lord, for who and what you are, for all you've done. Thank you for this evening. Thank you for the message. We pray tonight that, Lord, everything said and done will be in glory and honor and praise to your name. We ask you this evening that if you will, just take your word, apply it into our heart. Let us not soon forget, dear God, how you are the God of the impossible, that you are the God of replacements. And, Lord, let us just be willing. Lord, let us be willing to be faithful and step up and take advantage, not for granted, the liberty that you've given us to have open doors here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.